here on Fab Radio International and YouTube. We've got a packed show tonight, so I don't know the time we'll finish, about 10-ish, 10 past 10, who knows? But I'm really pleased about tonight's show. My name's Paul, <laughs> my name's Paul Ripley. And that's easy for him to say, and I'm Mike Rice. And tonight we're going to have a look at a lot of stuff that's going on. If you're watching this show on a regular basis, you will know that we made certain expectations uh, readily available about what would happen with Brexit if you were stupid enough to go with it and also if um, you, certain things didn't go right in the United States so you, uh, we, tonight we are split completely down the middle we have some fantastic guests on and we're going to look into what's going wrong in the UK and what has gone wrong in the United States and where we go from here so I think to open the show we, we've got an interview that we uh, conducted a, uh, earlier with Professor Tudor Ricard, who we we wanted to chat about what is going on with the leadership of this country. Yes, I am. Um, well, before we start, what a name! Is it slightly <laughs> Dutch? <laughs> I've no idea. Well, Tudor obviously is Welsh, and the the Ricards is uh, assorted Richards and Ricards and so on. Um, fantastic. Right, let's get straight to it. Um, Brexit. The Tory government, and uh, we're in a mess. How did we get here? Well, that's what I've been trying to figure out for the last six years or so, from the the, the very day of the uh, the referendum. And um, if you look at all the information that's that's flowed through the the media since then, it's obviously an extremely complicated situation. And uh, now there's two or three main sort of belief systems emerging. I mean, the one emerging system is that uh, there's been a huge triumph for the UK because we've overcome the uh, the shackles of the uh, EU and we're now free to do our own things in the future and we're being led forward by one of the people who is responsible for the success of the referendum on behalf of the, the Leave side. So that's the one uh, yeah. theory that's yeah. that's to be found reading quite a large number of our national newspapers every morning that's that's the theory so the second theory is that uh, the the original referendum was itself uh, phrased in such a way that it was difficult for people to know what they were voting for the the outcome became known as the will of the people the will of the people being 52 against 48% of a small proportion of the country of the electorate that voted. And uh, after that, we've been waiting for an enormous, what I've called the battle of Brexit, which is going on since the June of nine, uh, 2016 and culminating in, the, if you remember, the bongs for Brexit in January the 31st of, of, of last year. So. Uh, 
so they're the two main theories. So who's who's correct? Who knows? That you can argue that history is going to say which of these uh, lines is going to be correct. But what we can then do is start analysing the information that we do have about the, the particularly the decisions that are being made by the leaders of the uh, the various parties. So if we want to put the the leaders under the microscope, obviously the, yeah. the starting point now would be. Boris, and then go back and have a look at the leadership of Theresa May, and even looking at the the leadership of of David Cameron, uh, who brought the 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 election about the referendum about in the first place. So that's the sort of leadership playing field, if you like, we have to look at, and it's quite complicated. Um, my thoughts on it. I mean, just recently, I and mean, we need to cover how we got here. But my thoughts are that Boris. When he took control, he kicked out um, people, I won't say people with half a brain cell, but kicked out so many people, brought his own people in, who was just nodding dogs, really. He was just greed with him on Brexit. And now we're in a situation where, well, they're struggling, aren't they? Is, well, they certainly... Right that way? Well, there's no doubt that uh, there's been an enormous amount of talent that... Uh, existed in the, the Conservative Party and a lot of them gradually drifted away, some yeah. before Boris arrived and afterwards when he didn't want anything to do with them. So um, in terms of wasting the capital that he might have been able to use in his cabinet, then there's no doubt that he's ended up with people who are would normally be considered not really cabinet quality and I would say not leadership quality. So he's he's made a bit of a rod for his own back and it, I mean, it does look as if the, the main criterion for selection is, is utter um, acceptance of everything that Boris and, and indeed the people who influence Boris wants them to do. It so if you go back, that links in with Cummins, of course, and so on. Yeah, yeah uh, that's another story. But it reminds me so much of Trump and his uh, way yeah. of doing things that he brings people around him who will just agree with him. Uh, and and yeah. talent is a side issue. No, that's right. And there, I mean, there's such a there's so many parallels with Trump. There are differences as well, but some of the parallels. The one you've picked out is, is a particularly clear one that uh, Trump can't stand anyone uh, commenting in a way that goes against his his prior beliefs. And so that really was he's, he's a lot more extreme than, than Boris, of course. But uh, mm. in in that sense, I don't think Boris likes to hear bad news. And he well, certainly doesn't like to promote bad news, which isn't good for a leader, no. really. His part of the skill is no. that being able to break bad news, not yeah. not pretend it doesn't exist, you know. Yeah, and bring together a broad church of opinion as well to some workable yeah, sure. direction. Right. With regards to COVID and the coronavirus and the response of the government, mm. the mm. I've been, we've been commenting on piecemeal issues such as when lockdowns should have started, when uh, certain things should have been brought into play, the ridiculous yeah. Yeah. Uh, situation heading into Christmas where it seemed that those few days of relaxation of the rules at Christmas were going to cost mm. way too much in human lives. And uh, Do you feel that, unfortunately, we've got the wrong government in at the wrong time? Well... It's, a, it's an it's a tricky one, that. Uh, I think that uh, there's no doubt that the British electorate believes that uh, any government would have struggled under these circumstances. So if you start looking at it through the, the, the eyes of, of um, the vaccines coming in, but before that, the, the, the virus, then it does... I mean, it is a totally new environment. 
And I think a lot of slack that Boris is getting from the electorate is because people are saying, well, I don't think the other side would have made any difference really. Now, that, whether that's true or not, yeah. who knows? But that, I think that's what's going on. And it looks as if the polls that are coming back, yeah, even the Labour Party polls, are suggesting that uh, the electorate's not swinging away from this government because of the way they've been handling the crisis. So at one political level, mm -hmm. um, we have to say that it's they're not doing as badly as you might expect. There were some polls that suggested that Labour had got a small percentage lead over the Conservatives, though, over the last couple of weeks. Do, do you agree maybe that if we had an election now, it would maybe be a hung parliament? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's... Um, the, 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 it does look as if about 40% of the population are, are rather constantly sticking with the uh, with the two. And it does look as if Starmer has gradually pulled up. And so the two seem to be running. And with the, the, the variation that you get with a single poll, mm. uh, it doesn't be making as much progress as they would have hoped, any more than they hoped the same thing would happen before the last election, if you remember. That yes. They, they should have been far further ahead than they were. Now, Corbyn got the blame for all that. And again, it's going to be, history's going to decide how this is all falling out. But that was the evidences that uh, the, the, the Labour Party or the, the opposition, if you like, uh, was not making as much progress as should have been in terms mm. of the, the evidence in front of people. Um, how do you think the media has reacted overall? And I'm sorry? How do you think the media has reacted, whether it's newspaper or TV reports, uh, particularly the BBC, are on this? Have they supported the government, do you think, or have they done the job and supposed to be independent? <laughs> That's a nice one for me to hit over the boundary. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the British mainstream media, uh, by and large, is so committed to the Conservative Party, or at least to the, yeah, the Conservative Party, let's say, that... Um, it's always going to dominate the the press. So that's that's the first disappointment is that if you wanted to have fair information portrayed to the public, yeah. then don't just rely on the, the mainstream media. But then you come to the BBC, which is the second part of your question. Now, I must admit, I the news I get has been dominated by the BBC for many years. I was brought up with the BBC yeah. and I, I believed them. And by and large, I thought it was the the sort of uh, information that was true and so on and so forth. Now, it does seem that over the last 10 years, the BBC itself has been under pressure uh, from forces that are suggesting if you're not careful, you're going to lose your license fee. And who knows, people would like to see us move towards an American system where you've got a, a state broadcaster is something that's uh, just far too socialist and there are pressures to even get rid of the BBC. So arguably, there are forces that are making the BBC a bit tentative, to put it mildly, in terms of the way they treat the, the news, and particularly the, the, the political news. What what I found is there's what I always refer to as, and people refer to as, the false equivalency, where back, yes. in, back in the early 70s, you wouldn't be interviewing an astronaut or someone from NASA and also have somebody that, de that's on, that denied it ever happened and thought it was a conspiracy on there. Whereas now we're taking established scientific facts and we're giving airtime sometimes to people that I feel don't, they don't deserve airtime. They're not, their view is not valid. No, I think that's right. And, uh, I mean, then you can link in what uh, a lot of people now are deciding, that the way to get the news is through the uh, so the internet and the uh, social networks and so on. And so at least there's 
there's another set of beliefs being expressed but of course you've got the same problem now and so Facebook is now in the problem of can we do we have any right or should we monitor anything that's going out on Facebook and that's become itself a battle of what can be presented and what can't be is it okay to have equal uh, space for people who believe that the vaccine is a myth because yeah, that's that, what's happening yeah, that, yeah. that's what I, I firmly believe that there needs to be censorship on certain parts of this I, and, and it's a it's a thin end of the wedge because the minute yeah. you start to censor certain aspects of free speech you open a door that somebody can use in a sinister manner don't you well I, I tried and it's it is by and large it seems to me the arguments are easier to present if you present the, the these sort of views that, that I mean the idea of a conspiracy theory is now becoming quite important how do we identify mm. a conspiracy theory and, and you're talking about America, the conspiracy theories over there about uh, why Trump has actually won the election. It's just a simple recent yeah. example why Trump yeah. has won the election. But then to believe that the, the opposition have actually got a series of pizza parlors that are open yeah. to the, uh, the gratification to the politicians and people... Well, they act as if they believe it. That's all okay, you can... Yeah. And they, and uh, as far as you can go, I suppose. The problem is they seem so far-fetched that the fact that such a large section of the population believe it is terrifying, yeah. to, that they believe that Tom Hanks is in charge of a paedophile ring. There's no <laughs> evidence whatsoever. is no, 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 quite that's astonishing right. that's to right. me. Well, I, mean, I don't understand from day to day what this party is. I mean, I understood the when there was the switch to the new right under Thatcher. It made yeah. sense. They were hijacking liberal policies and free market policies and going with Hayek and and moving away from Keynesianism and 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 I understood that. And this this they don't sit one minute. You have Boris and he's trying to come across as a reasonable one nation conservative, a caring, compassionate conservative, and then the next minute he's, he's wanting to throw open the economy despite the coronavirus because he seems to be putting a big emphasis on, on the economy, which brings you right back to Thatcherism. I mean, what, what is this new Conservative Party? What, what, what are its politics? Well, the, uh, the pieces that are being written about the new Conservatives... Uh, suggest that they would like to I mean, in a way the conservatives are everything except the idea of progressive so you could call them the non-progressive party now the the non-progressive people are writing the the, the leaflets and so on that are suggesting mm. what they would like is to have the the traditional old-fashioned rather you call them the one party conservative party mm. uh, one party so that uh, it's the um it's almost the Victorian idea of the patrician class that are looking after yeah. people on behalf of the uh, themselves because they're not able to to rule Correct. themselves. Yeah. So you've got the old-fashioned classic conservatism coming through. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't remember the paper now, but there was one written by some of the people still in the the, the cabinet some, some years ago about it that uh, espoused these views. And really they were very, very... Uh, and I suppose Jacob Rees-Mogg type views rather than, than oh, yes. this century, or I should say last century views, really. <laughs> um, before you go, though, you've got a book coming out. I have, yes. I tell, hope. Us, tell us about it. Well, it's um, it started, I suppose, when I, when I retired from 
academic life, my University of Manchester, yeah. I, I, I've written books, textbooks and things all my life, and I thought I'd try my hand at self-publishing. Oh, yeah. And I also, I was always connected with uh, things to do with creativity, so I thought I'd write crime, crime thrillers as well. So I started writing and self-publishing crime thrillers, which I've written a few. And um, then I got a taste of going back to writing some um, political work. So I started work with the, um, with the referendum, and I thought I'd follow through what would happen. So um, as of the, the first, uh, the 23rd of June in 2000 and whenever it was 16, I started looking at the newspapers and writing what was happening every day. So I kept a diary every day, or a research notebook really. And then from that research notebook, I've, I've produced a book with the, the spectacular title, Boris, Me and the BBC. I go to a bookshop every, well, until the lockdown, about twice a week and uh, talk with the owners. And um, so they've been showing me what sells and what doesn't sell and in their bookshelves. So I'm going to try it out first with, with my favourite bookshop and see if they'll... They, they will tell me which shelf to put it on even. I don't even know which shelf it should go on at the moment. But <laughs> well, we'll, just, we'll just see what happens. When you go in the shop, if it's not at the front, move it. Yeah, that's, that's, well, that's, that's what right. I believe is happening. That's what the sort of things the guys do, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's got to be done. Uh, Tudor, thank you so much. We'll speak to you soon. Um, and, and all the best to you and uh, for the sales of the book. Take care. Good. Well, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. And good luck on your programme. Thank you. What a lovely guy. A uh, lovely, lovely guy. I like him. Yeah, yeah. He, and he knows his stuff. I can, t- knows I can stuff. talk about political history and he doesn't fall asleep. No, no. I like that. No, no, no. Um, still to come, though, on the show, we have, the well, um, a, an amazing story about a company based in Macclesfield here in the northwest of England who spent a lot of money, or want to spend a lot of money, on selling their product, which is cheese, to Europe. And it's all change. It's all change. But before anything, I want to bring up this, Mike, you don't know about it. Mm-hmm. I told you last week about um, Andrew Neil and his new channel started. Yes. And it's called GB News, which we're leaning to the right in a big way. Oh, okay. Just like uh, maybe Newsmax. Yeah. However, Murdoch's not having that. Yeah. Because he's not financing it. He's bringing out a new channel called News UK, which will also be leaning to the right oh brilliant so, just what you want isn't it you want the same sort of crap that's going on in America brought over here inflicting on everybody and making us all hate each other just the same yeah and it is hatred as well it's genuine hatred going on online and social media well they see it they see it yes Strange times, strange times. So if you're interested in right-wing news and uh, want to become an absolute fascist, you'll be happy, happy for the next few years these channels will be on your TV screen. And we, we'll be here to debunk pretty every much everything. one of them. Everything they say. So, uh, yeah, this week we've, uh, we're dealing at this point of the show with the UK and we've, we've had a bit of a problem with uh, COVID denial again. We have been showing a lot of uh, anti-COVID marches and freedom marches and all the rest of it. And it turns out that in, the, in our own Houses of Parliament, we have a serpent that is doing more damage to us and on the road to recovery than you could possibly imagine. 
Conservative MP Sir Desmond Swain in November last year speaking to Save Our Rights UK, a group that's advanced false claims about the COVID vaccine and organised anti-lockdown protests. The topic of discussion? The risk posed by the virus to the NHS. But it seems to be a manageable risk, particularly given the way that figures appear to have been manipulated. Um, you know, we are told that there is a deathly, a deadly pandemic proceeding at the moment. That is difficult to reconcile. There is no evidence of figures being manipulated. And at the time of this interview, deaths were 14% above the five-year average, according to the ONS. January the 15th this year, and Sir Desmond is giving another interview. It is my absolute honour and pleasure to be inviting uh, Sir Desmond Sweeney to uh, the highwire right now. This time it's to Del Bigtree, leader of an anti-vaccination group and former producer for disgraced anti-vax medic Andrew Wakefield, where he's asked about the UK's latest lockdown. Is there some other uh, desire to control the people that has nothing to do with health? Where are you at with that? There are aspects of this which I'm certain come down to social control, uh, like the wearing of masks, the, the medical case, you, you've just rubbished it. Earlier. Several studies have shown face masks can reduce the transmission of viruses. Hello. Hello, Sir Desmond. Hello, hi, it's Rob Powell here calling from um, Sky News. I'm a political correspondent. Sir Desmond Swain wasn't available for an on-camera interview, but agreed to this phone call being recorded. On Del Bigtree, did you know who he was before you gave the interview? I've never heard of Del Bigtree. So he was someone that's anti-vaccine and has said that the COVID vaccine I, could be I, the greatest I, again, scientific blunder in the history I, of mankind. I, again, I state, you know, having a conversation with someone is not in any way associating yourself with his point of view. You're lending the credibility uh, of a member of parliament to some groups which have views uh, which are not backed up by any scientific evidence. Well, I, 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 you know, the, the, the point is this, we're a democracy, we believe in free speech and free expression. But those who track anti-vax content online say Sir Desmond's comments will cost lives. People, of course, have been confused by um, a new pathogen, a new disease which has emerged. It's caused a lot of concern. And to see a member of parliament feeding off that concern, feeding the, feeding the beast, so to speak, is incredibly cynical, incredibly damaging, and will cost lives. Sir Desmond Sway. The former minister in the Commons today, where a valid debate will continue about easing restrictions. But at such a perilous moment in the pandemic, many will question where and how this Tory MP has chosen to have this discussion. Rob Powell, Sky News in Westminster. Quite amazing. Quite amazing. And this type of... I mean, we vote for these people. We vote for these people. Yeah, and speak for yourself. Time. Well, many people do, <laughs> don't they? I don't but vote you, for him. No, no, but you, 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 you're supposed to trust your government. You're supposed to trust your, your MP, your councillor. Uh, and it leads down this road, this rabbit hole where... Yeah. We talked before, just then before, about a new new service. Well, if he, if he was in America, he'd be part of QAnon. Yeah. He'd be selling stories of underground pizza parlours that have got, have got little rooms with kids that are held uh, prisoner for paedophiles that are all part of the which Democratic is, Party. You which know? is the thing, they always, the whole conspiracy world, they always jump on these things 
Well, they always on. end up at paedophiles. Paedophiles. Do you not remember here? We Israel. Had the, yeah, we uh, end. Yeah, it carries on. There's certain things. That, you know, it's always it the same. Always the same. We don't. You know, we don't trust this. We don't trust <clears> that. And who? It comes to a point. Is when will the news? When will we be able to know who's telling the truth? When will when will have a, a news service or a, a media outlet which is just touch? When will MP? When can you trust an MP again? Well, when the, pro- can you the do problem it? is you can you can trust certain people. Um, you've got to. It's part of who the. Do you trust? It's part of the process. Like who? It's part of the process. Like who do you it? trust now? There's plenty of people. Do you trust the BBC News? Yeah, I do. You do. You still do. Yeah, comparatively, comparatively, yeah. Um, it's all comparative. You go online and you see stuff on you on uh, Twitter. You see stuff on Facebook. You can't believe it. You can't believe it at all unless it's come from a source that you trust. You've got to decide yourself right. who you the trust. Head, the head of our government, the head of the UK, Boris said there'll be frictionless uh, trade between us and Europe. Yeah. And he said that not too long ago. Yeah. Frictionless. Be fine. Yeah, absolutely you did. Do we trust him again? Well, I never What's trusted happened? him to begin with. There's a few um, messages that came through. One of them's from Eddie over in Ireland. He's saying mm. about, you cannot... I mean, I don't know where Northern Ireland lies, really. Is it part of the EU or is it part of the UK? It's a weird situation. But if you send a plant to someone in Northern Ireland, it won't mm. be admitted from the UK because yeah. they won't allow the soil to come in the country. Yeah. Well, it's similar so, to what happens in Australia. Anyone who's watching all these border shows yeah. where they're, uh, they, they're very careful about people contaminating their ecosystem. But we were supposed to be going to a, doing a deal where our standards are such a level that it doesn't matter. No, probably it, higher than you the were, EU. That was bullshit and everybody knew it. They would, they would, everybody on the right side of the equation knew what was going on with Brexit. They knew the whole thing. The only people, a load of racists voted for it and brought it in and managed to get it over the finish line because there were just enough gullible people that that believed that maybe uh, it was better being off uh, away from Europe and that, that, you know, you could get the empire back and do all the rest of it. It's just the way it is. It's, it's amazing. I think about that as well. Um, they were so concerned about our borders, well, not letting anyone oh, in. Yeah. Well, they're so concerned about that. No foreigners coming in. They opened them up when the COVID happened. Yeah, no, yeah. Flying anywhere you want, just fly into this oh, country. Fly go. into this country, That's no the problems. Thing, isn't it? And until the other That's day, it was quite amazing. I watched about how Brazil has been blocked. Mm. So I thought, oh, it's blocked. So therefore, South, uh, you know, Southern America and be okay. On news, is at the airport. Where have you just come from? Oh, Brazil. The following day, it's not blocked at all. No. What's going on? I mean, who do you trust anymore? Who do you trust? <sighs> Strange times. Hopefully, in the next few minutes, according to our guy, we should have Simon from the Cheshire Cheese Company on. Uh, but he's, he's shaking his head, so it's not the case. Uh, but Mastercard have. Um, no, that that is uh, that is not the biggest problem we've got. Mastercard. I think we need to talk about after, but I think we need to have a look at something the EU is doing. The EU stepped over a line this week that it's not stepped over before. And um, yeah, if you want an update on COVID and Europe and everything that's going on, this video might do you some justice. 
Vaccine delays are affecting Canada right now, as we are reporting to you one of our top stories. But not only Canada. We're getting word of major production problems at AstraZeneca and its key manufacturing facility in Europe, which has angered the European Union. Officials there have threatened action to make sure they get the supplies they've been promised. Tessa Arcilia is on that story from London for us this morning. What are the problems that uh, AstraZeneca is experiencing, Tessa? Well, Heather, basically the company is saying this is all because of a production problems, production delays. Um, and Europe, the EU, is certainly not happy with the company falling short of their supply promises to the bloc. Now, there is no public confirmation on exactly how big that number is going to be, but it is reported to be significant. Reuters are reporting that up to 60% a cut in supply. Now, let's not forget something important here. It is the context in which this is happening. There is a lot of criticism, a lot of disappointment among citizens at the slow rollout of the vaccination program across the EU and add to that an already decreased the supply of the Pfizer vaccine which is mainly manufactured in Belgium put that all together there's a lot of frustration and the EU is keen to show that they're doing their jobs for protecting and fighting for the rights of their citizens let's take a listen to the EU Commissioner for Health here in the future all companies producing vaccines against COVID-19 in the EU will have to provide early notification whenever they want to export vaccines to third countries. The European Union will take any action required to protect its citizens and rights. Now, that last line is strong there. Basically, what they're saying is if we can't get enough vaccines that are manufactured outside of the EU, like the AstraZeneca one, then we're going to have to hold and control the export of vaccines made inside the block, like the Pfizer one. So this could impact the Pfizer vaccine supply into the UK. Now, there is a few issues about this. What Germany have said tonight is that the, well, the Oxford vaccine doesn't work or is effective for people over 65 so they're not going to give it to people over 65 and the problem Europe's got is they've they've you know, but our priority as human beings is to look after a certain group of people and we've done it so oldest first go going down like like a lifeboat yes women children first yeah so they've said we've not got enough vaccines to cover our Asian population Mm -hmm. over over the 85s and it should be right that the UK should give up some of theirs towards it so it's not about a war this no it's, it's not it's about supporting humanity yeah of course it is but here's the thing um, they signed an agreement we signed an agreement and at the end of the day I'm massively on the side of Europe I think we've actually treated these European countries despicably and I understand from day one I've been talking about this show on on this show for years about how France didn't trust us we got vetoed from Europe we got in and then after years and years from the minute we got in Europe we were moaning and complaining about being part of it we never looked at any benefit from it we looked at all the negatives and just concentrated on that and we've been really crap bedfellows and uh, we're the worst flatmates that Europe could have ever got and I, I don't think we were great and you, you but you've got to look at this in black and white terms I mean we signed an agreement with with AstraZeneca that was uh, three months before they did and they are saying um, quite rightly the company AstraZeneca are saying 
let's uh, let's supply them with the uh, with the vaccine first because they were there first. Yeah. Maybe um, so. We'll continue that, but hopefully, um, coming through to us right now is Simon from the Cheshire Cheese Company. Simon. Hello. Hi there. Hi there, thanks so much for coming in. I know you've been a busy man the last few days. He's, your face is propping up everywhere. Um, you've had, you've had <laughs> problems. But Mike's got a few words to ask, to say to you. I have, actually, you. yeah. About your cheese. Yes. Um, okay. I'm actually a massive fan. I I absolutely love the product that you put out. I've, um, I've been having your cheese for years. I've had uh, the Black Bob, the Sticky Toffee, um, your jerk cheese has been incredible, but possibly my favourite cheese ever is the Al Gringo, which uh, the chilli, lime and tequila cheddar. I think it's brilliant, that cheese. So so I'm on your side on this all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is quite a popular one there. Not, um, uh, yeah, Black Bob is the all-time favourite Closely followed by caramelised onion riocca, so yeah, it's um, uh, yeah. And, and we have grown a massive fan base, not just the UK, but we'd started to grow one in the EU, which is obviously uh, the problems yeah. that yeah. we're having. Yeah, can you can you explain to people who may have not picked up on this story what happened to you uh, and, the, and the background to it really? Yeah, sure. We were um, at. From this this year, from the beginning of the new year, uh, we came back with high hopes and great plans, and we um, started shipping to the EU our consumer parcels. This is so. This is from the online orders there because we have sections, three sections of the built a uh, wholesale division. So we ship big container loads and pallets of cheese to various countries, including the EU and Canada, America. Um, but we also have an online business, which is our consumer sales. So you buy your cheese online, yeah. 20, 30 quid, we ship it off directly to your country. So we started sending our parcels off as normal, as we had been doing for several years before, and 100% of them came back again. So the, the problem was that we couldn't, find out exactly why they were coming back and DHL our couriers they were struggling as well they were they were saying well it, may, it must be it's TV problems it must be paperwork it must be invoices and it took a quite painful two weeks until the, sort of the 18th of January before um, it became apparent what that actually was what the problem was the problem is that um, new regulations have come in for shipping what we everybody believed, everybody in this industry believed, was for wholesale. So one of the regulations is that you now have to have to ship anything into this food stuff into the EU, a EHC document. Now that is a certificate that's issued by a veterinary surgeon. I know it sounds really weird, but it really is. A vet, a real vet comes in, looks at it and basically says, yes, this is cheese made from cow's milk and therefore I'm going to stamp a piece of paper. For the cost for doing that is £180 per consignment. Okay. So it's not something you can... Um, wow. Can uh, I just you, clarify, you, you consignment, you're not talking about a shipping container. You're talking about each individual product sent. This is either a product sent or a container. This is where the problem yeah. lies. Yeah. So 
all of a sudden, this regulator came in and said that they were treating exactly the same as somebody buying 35 quid the cheese online. Now, Correct. let me give yeah. you the equivalent to this. Um, we ship in bulk to Canada and the United States and Norway, other, other non-EU countries. And there is exemption in place for all consumer purchases, and they have an allowance. So you, you can buy in Canada and America the cheese online, and you don't need an EHC certificate with it, obviously, because we wouldn't be shipping there if we did. So what seems to have happened is somewhere, who knows where, at some point, um, either it's a fast one by the EU or an oversight by the UK, it's, um, it is meant that we've had to stop completely selling our online sale products over to the EU. And there isn't, there's just no way around this. There, there isn't a side, side door shortcut. It's, it's it. That's it. It's end at the moment. So you were going to expand um, your company, and and the way I see it, you asked for advice on this, and they said, well, you should um, produce a fulfilment centre in France or in the EU. Well, uh, first of all, it was exceptionally difficult trying to find or get any help or any any information, so... Um, I'm also the, the director of the Hearties and Creamery in Derbyshire. So we're, we're you know, the smallest stilt maker in the world, but the finest stilt maker, stilt makers, we would say as well. Sure. Um, so I contacted Sarah Dean's MP. She is the Matlock MP that covers Matt there. I also contacted David Rutley, who is my local MP in Macclesfield. And uh, David and Sarah eventually got back to me they were as surprised as I was that, you know, they, we couldn't get anything through. Now, again, they couldn't actually shed any light into this. It was up to DHL in the end. DHL on the 18th of January, they sent me over a list and said, uh, we know why this is. And it, it's here's a list of the 26 countries. And next to it was um, animal foodstuffs are disallowed from Germany. Um, all right. meat, cow's milk, seafood, fish, banned from etc etc each each country had a, a, a slightly different variation but the bottom line was you can't, couldn't ship anything that's got food stuffs in so they again reported back to them that, and the you know the hardest thing really was actually making people can believe me that this was a real thing and had actually happened they sure. completely and utterly missed the fact that no food producer can now ship directly to the eu this um, yeah, it's amazing. Isn't well, it? we've we've had on this show for the last oh god, from the minute the referendum came up, we were talking about the the downside of this possibly being uh, way worse than anything you could possibly get, and we've been not campaigning, but certainly we've been on the side of 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 not doing this insanity, and they, this sounds like an absolute nightmare um what do you think if you don't mind me asking um because i'm a person that also runs a company in based in manchester i understand how difficult you've had this year with covid and stuff and you should have been doing all right out of that side of it the exports maybe that could have compensated and how much damage has this done to you well i mean there was 
two things really that have um, one it's you know exceptionally disappointing because we had a fantastic year last year um, we decided I'm a positive person I run a, a, a you know a positive company and therefore we, we decided two years ago that we would actually right well okay we're, we're gonna make a go of this there we we then got the, um, uh, the the multilingual versions of our website created, so we got the French and the German versions on there. We invested heavily in marketing last year as well, and the, the our actual whole online business grew by four hundred percent. A bit, a lot of that was obviously wow, because fantastic. the wow. um, we yeah because we we had you know um, obviously people shift, shifting to online, but we'd also actually grown the EU market because we. We thought, well, let's have a running start at this one. Let's give ourselves a good chance. Let's really push it. So when we go into the alleged sunny uplands and promised world we were, we were all told we we're going to have, we, we had a fighting chance. We'd be a bit ahead of the game. So nobody could ever you know, moaning, moping or, or uh, you know, not positive in the future. So the other thing we, we realised, because we had a such substantial growth last year, was we'd outgrown our current warehouse and fulfillment. So uh, myself and my uh, fellow directors said, well, you know, let's pool our pensions here and let's build a bigger fulfillment center opposite where we are now. So we've Makes got the planning sense. permission in Macclesfield, that's all done. Yeah, um, so around about a million pounds by the time it's built to actually build this this place because we thought, well, you know, we've got another, what, 180,000 pounds of the business um, and we expect that to be 250,000 growth by next year from the EU alone. Sure. Um, we, we we became, you know, uh, thought, well, that it's not really that much of a gamble there. Good contribution. So to sort of be sort of slapped around the face a bit with um, the, the start realisation, and it was me forwarding to the trade bodies as well, NFU to DEFRA, would you believe, the, the government yeah. and the yeah. MPs, Here's the list. I think this is what's happening there, and it, it, it was it was really hard to make them sort of switch the light on and go. Actually, well, it looks like it is. So I ended up a few days later again after that. Finally, Def rang me, and a representative was um, obviously um, sympathetic, but said, you know, I'm, I'm afraid there doesn't seem to be a quick fix to this one. It's um, we don't know what what's going on or why, but. Um, and I said, well, my, what, one of my options is, my only options could be to uh, open up in in the EU a distribution right. centre because I can't see a way around this. To which I was told, well, to be honest with you, that has to be your only option because quite genuinely, there isn't any other option. Dude, dude, so, sounds absolutely, um, absolutely awful. I mean, if you were to... Uh, if you could speak to people now who were watching this show who um yeah they were skeptical one way or the other um about project fear about the real uh, repercussions of of doing business if you don't get this deal correct um what would you say if they're still saying that well they, this is just an isolated incident and maybe um this deal is okay and this is just one of those things I mean, I think uh, as it stands at the moment there, I think what we need is a united front of basically UK uh, consumers here to actually do what I've done, make as much noise as possible mm. to actually try and get myself heard. Yes. And 
interestingly, only today, um, I, I passed the message over to um, Sarah Deans and said that last night via email, David Rutland said, look, here's an update for you. I've done 50 plus interviews up to now, not just with TV, radio and news in the United Kingdom, but all over the world. I mean, I've got another 15 booked wow. in already as well wow, for the next yeah. few days, including Saturday. Yeah. This is, uh, I mean, I've, I've got a, an interview after this with South Korea, South Korean radio right. at 1040. Okay. Um, we've got Chinese state television coming down on Monday, German national TV coming up on Saturday, um, ZDF television. So this this is actually, this is global, this. I mean, well, um, good for you. Uh, yeah. Um, so ah. it, really what it is, it, there's great interest in this from all of over course. the world because they want to know what's gone wrong as well, I think, really. The, well, this um, is the reality. Well, You're giving them the yeah. reality and, 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 you know, fair play to you. They're, you've done it well. Simon, who do you actually yeah. blame for this? Who do you, if you could, I mean, um, it's hard one to say, I know, yeah. but does it lie on Boris's front door? I tell you, I think it is the government's fault for, and my, my theory on this is it's all to do with the non-alignment with EU food standards in 20, October 2020. So I don't know if you remember, there was a battle over the agriculture bill was, yeah. and in October 2020, yeah, it went to the Lords, it was rejected. They said, you're not lowering our food standards. Yeah. It went back to the House and then um, Boris Johnson used his whip and majority to make amendments to the bill that allowed the bill to pass and gave UK government the right to lower standards. Now, my understanding was that his big dream was that um, Donald Trump would get another turn and we would have a fantastic US deal, trade deal for food. Only way that could possibly happen is by Britain reducing its its own food standards. Um, you know, this is food standards we helped to put in place and you know um, have been using since 2002. My belief is that if we had not reduced our food standards, this wouldn't be happening. I wouldn't be having an interview with you. All the fishermen would still be actually able to get their catch over there. Our exports of all our food producers, because I tell you what, we, we have shipped wholesale in the last week. It's an absolute nightmare. Where it should take 10 minutes, it take, took nearly three hours. And there is no help to actually work out what's going on. So. Uh, yeah, I think I think the government is to blame in the fact that they, sh they, they jumped the gun. They believed there was going to be some fantastic, lucrative trade deal on offer, but the, the, the only the person that could have instigated that is no longer actually in power. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's yeah. heartbreaking. I mean, I mean, the British food industry, you know. You look, you look back and how we've, it's grown and how it's got better and the quality's just risen and risen. And here we are now in a situation where this is happening. It, it's, it's, it's criminal. Yeah. I actually think it's criminal. And I, I'm with, I'm, I'm, yeah. It's just heartbreaking, any story for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, the one one thing has happened through the, through the campaigning, is say. Yeah. Um, I had a phone call today from Saudis and she is said she would like to arrange a meeting for myself with um, the ministers, uh, George Eustace and Victoria Prentice, yeah. herself and my my own constituent MP, David Rutley, 
because they said they very much want to actually discuss and try and find some form of solution for us. Now, I've already said to them, I, I, I can't see a future in the EU for us trading online because we've looked at the cost of having a full fulfillment centre out there. It, it's just, you know, it's just too expensive. It's, um, you know, we're not big enough to be able to yeah. actually justify that kind of cost. Sure. So my other option is to look completely opposite direction, which is actually the USA and Canada. We already export to both of those places in wholesale. We can ship to them. The only slight obstacle is that it, it's, it is more expensive to ship online parcels to Canada and the US. It, we have to use a one-to-day, two-day service. It's an average about £20 per parcel. If we could get that down to, I don't know, £12 a parcel, £10 a parcel, that would be a fantastic market, not just for us, but for the rest of the UK. I understand that, but it's, it's a crazy situation where we've got France literally uh, 12 miles across the channel, uh, yeah. uh, and we, we can't deal with the country like that. It's like we're at war with them. It's not... I mean, I got a read the other day, maybe trade wars coming from the EU towards us. And I'm I'm just lost with the whole situation. And it's not about politics, really, this, it is it? Is. It's about, you yeah. know, it's not about who you vote for, if you remain. I presume you was a remainer, by the way. Um, yes, I was remain. I, I fully accepted the, the democratic vote, as yeah. we should all accept democracy. Yeah. And, and as, you know, nobody could accuse me of moping about it, feeling sorry for myself, because I wouldn't have invested in the way I did with multi-language and also lots of marketing and increasing that EU customer base. So, you know, it was um, a positive response to the situation. Simon, uh, thank you so, so much for joining us. I've got a few more words to say, Mike. Well, I just want to say um, that, you know, fantastic business. Please don't give up on the north here and um, keep no, fighting. No, ne- never, never. Keep fighting. Yeah, yeah I mean, the... I suppose the, the, the last thing I can say is actually that when I was talking to uh, DEFRA, they, it, I don't know if you realise this, but there's no reciprocal arrangement in place at all. So at the moment, all of the EU's producers are allowed to freely ship into the UK. Zero restriction. They've got six months get out of <laughs> get out oh, of get stay in Britain. So much worse. Car. Yeah, so she, she, asked, she actually said, and I said, so what's that all about? I said, well, if it makes you feel any better, it's any consolation. In July, we're going to reciprocate and we're going to ban <laughs> ban the, the EU producers shipping foodstuffs to directly to consumers in the UK. I said, well, that's not actually a win for anybody. That no, That's not a no. win for the EU consumer, the UK no, consumer. No, no. It just reduces our freedom of choice. That is a yeah. tit-for-tat political battle, which we should be not involved with for a start, you know. They want to have a, you know, a, a little bicker and then leave the consumers out of it. Yeah. I think it just needs some ad- adults in charge, really, because I'm, I'm just lost. It with would it. be yeah. nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah it'd be good. Yeah, Simon, please, yeah. we'll, we'll keep in contact with you, it's okay, and to see how, how long your battle goes on for and how it turns out. Thank you. Thank uh, you very much. And Thank we'll, you for coming on, Simon. Yeah. Wonderful. You take care. My pleasure. Always my pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Simon Spiller from Cheshire Cheese Company, and what a guy he is. Um, I like his attitude, his positive attitude, which he's pushing there. Yeah, he, he voted for an outcome he didn't get and then tried to make the best out of it, went all the way down to the wire, cooperated with the situation, and he's got absolutely shafted. 
shafted and put that that's an amazing situation there is the news that we're going to fight back against them now what will Denmark yeah. do in the bacon yeah well are the prices here rise to a level where people can't afford food it's anymore it's irrelevant yeah we're, we're going to all that's be what we're, out. Talking we're, about, aren't we're we? on the losing end of we this we import so much from Holland yeah. in particular and yeah. France vegetables I mean yeah. are they going to be like 180 pound charge on all these types of stuff no, over we here are. we are we are on the losing end will Lidl's come same price as Waitrose but I've just got to say now this situation with Europe is going to continue to get worse and we've actually found out about something that's going to be happening with a major credit card provider so this is the thing that you're getting with europe right now you're getting a creeping death of a thousand paper cuts almost yeah where everything's slowly coming real it's all becoming real all the costs are all piling in and yeah later on this year We've got problems with MasterCard. From October this year, MasterCard is going to increase its fees fivefold for EU firms that are taking money from UK customers. Now that doesn't mean that MasterCard is charging you and me and all consumers. It means they're charging more money to the EU retailers and traders when they sell to us in the UK. But what's the result of that? Well, it's obvious. What they will do is they'll pass the expense of this on to the consumer. And that means that buying goods in the EU will become more expensive. Obvious this was going to happen. Now we're seeing it really is going to happen. This is going to happen from October. Um, It's another reason not to buy from the EU, uh, as well as the fact that the consumer rights are always never as good as they are here. Also, the other point here as well, not to do with MasterCard, but if you buy in the EU, something goes wrong, no longer can you go to the English courts to deal with the matter. That went with Brexit. Now, MasterCard have given a statement about this. As a result of the UK leaving the EEA, MasterCard will adapt interchange rates on UK cards to the commitments it gave the European Commission in 2019 for non-EEA card transactions. In practice, only EEA merchants making e-commerce sales to UK cardholders will see a change. Interchange is not a consumer-facing cost, but the fees paid between merchants and banks for the provision of payments. Consumers should not feel any impact of changes in interchange fees. Of course, that's not how it's going to work in practice. Consumers will obviously feel the impact of this because EU traders will just increase their prices. It's obvious. Scary, scary times ahead. So are we all happy now? Um, the Some of the content that we've been listening to lately, uh, this particular one is is very, very, very simple. They they have decided to fivefold increase the fees, so you are going to be cut off from buying stuff in in Europe unless you want to pay a ridiculous amount of money. You've got all the rest of the stuff that's been going on as well, which we've not um, commented on, which is people there. All the additional VAT tariffs have all started kicking in. So this oven ready oven ready Brexit has not turned out to be that oven ready. It's turned out to be actually quite horrific, hasn't it? But we all voted for it. We all voted for it. Oh, we, did we? All we vote we, we all well, vote for it. all of us. I don't even think people who voted to leave Europe voted mm. for this. 
There was no explanation about this. There was no explanation about the costs of all this. And they now you are getting that, that half past eight knock in the morning. And not only are you out of bed and you're going, well, why couldn't you have posted that through the letterbox? Come on, look at it. Because I get that a lot. Yeah. I get a Blu-ray. I bought it from America. It's made it all the way across America, across the sea, across to, to here. And then it's not even you sign for it. You don't have to. But the postman thinks he's got to knock me up rather than just push it through the letterbox because it might disintegrate on the way down. And yes, I am having a go at you, Mr. Postman, on that one. But now... He knocks you up, and you're annoyed, and then he goes, 30 quid, please. This is interesting, this £30 charge, by the way, and in Ireland we had another message before from Eddie over yeah. in, in Ireland, and he was saying that they threw on this extra price, but they want it in cash. Yeah. Yeah, they that do. That sounds a bit... But that's the way it goes. Cash. You, well, whenever I used to buy stuff from America and it'd come and it wasn't registered as a gift, uh, I remember buying a Blu-ray player, it turned up, and the idiot hadn't put gift on it, and it was in the actual Blu-ray player box just with a little label on with yeah. my name. And I, I ended up 100 and odd quid. It cost more than buying it from the shop here. So, so there was the, you know, there, there you go. Um, you get what you wish for, and yeah. I guess this is this is the the whole Brexit thing. That if it was an egg, it's just hatching now, and it turns out that you're not getting the uh, the offspring that you uh, wanted out of that egg. It's a good job we're not in the middle of a pandemic while all this is going on. I Indeed. think it's really hard. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? But to, to but, move on, yes, in uh, America. Uh, we've only just got to America at this point in the show, so that's probably a good thing, I would I would expect. But uh, Biden's inauguration in America, uh, in case you're wondering, has it caused anything on the right wing? Has it caused any upset? No, the Malkin is back, and she has got some comments on Biden's inauguration. We are in the midst of the greatest media gaslighting campaign in modern American history. Just surf the Silicon Valley controlled news headlines. Story after story breathlessly warning of the reign of right wing terrorism. What's fueling the growth of right wing terrorism? That's CNN. Global right wing extremism networks are growing, the Soros funded ProPublica website warns. Right wing menace will now be a regular feature of American politics, the Washington Post declares. As you all know, 25,000 National Guard troops were dispatched to quell all this alleged rise in right-wing extremism. In a melodramatic act of kabuki theater, Democrats turned D.C. into a militarized bubble zone more heavily fortified than the Baghdad Green Zone. And yes, I know, I was in Iraq's Green Zone in 2007. But it wasn't Trump supporters who wrought havoc and incited hatred and perpetrated violence this inauguration week. No, it was the same old Antifa and Black Lives Matter rioters who've terrorized our country for the past four years without a peep of worry from the concerned trolls at CNN, ProPublica and The Washington Post. Their anarchist banners decorated with rifles demanded revenge against police. In Seattle, the Antifa stormtroopers, yes, that's what they are, also took to the streets, smashing, trashing, looting, and burning everything in sight, 
including the iconic original Starbucks downtown. The rioters targeted police, federal courthouse workers, and federal ICE agents. They tossed rocks at journalists, they shut down traffic, and they rampaged the streets with impunity as usual. We made sure we kept our distance because this group was so volatile and unpredictable. I mean, just look at how they smashed up this federal courthouse. Now, there were only about 50 or 60 of them, but for a short time, they seemed to have the run of the city. Vandals spent extra time at this building where Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, has one of its offices. On the street out front, they burned a flag and littered the roadway with newspaper racks, rental bicycles, and construction barricades to disrupt traffic as people headed through downtown Seattle during the evening commute. So where are all the Democrat leaders who suddenly discovered this newfound respect for police and the troops after the January 6th protest in D.C.? Oh, and where are all the FBI billboards seeking information on the black bloc insurrectionists? In every city now across the heartland, the FBI is hunting down every last Trump supporter who showed up at the Capitol on January 6th. The feds are urging Americans to snitch on conservatives in the name of public safety and national security. The FBI out of Albany expects more arrests in the region and is asking for local leads using a billboard along I-690, one of thousands of similar billboards up across the country. A new digital billboard in southern Indiana is encouraging people to report tips about the deadly Capitol riot last week. It's this off I-265. The FBI has already opened hundreds of criminal cases into what sparked a large group to storm the Capitol while Congress was certifying the Electoral College votes. Federal investigators have been using social media to post pictures of people who were allegedly involved as they try to find more information about those responsible. Thousands of those billboards. The FBI praised the private outdoor advertisers for their swift cooperation. The outdoor advertisers' willingness to assist in bringing these criminals to justice, as well as the speed in which they are able to publicize crucial public safety information, is a credit to those organizations. Of course, none of those companies would dare to partner with the feds to hunt down violent Antifa and Black Lives Matter militants, lest they be doxxed, deplatformed, and destroyed by the true menaces to American society. The true menaces to American society. Well, what you've got to realize here is she's the true menace to American society, and what you Paul, we're yeah. talking about with a news channel. GB News and uh, News UK, that could be, well, they call it Newsweek who, over in the States. Who would it be? Who would it be? I lies, would, lies and lies. I'm going to throw a person out now that could be a presenter on one of these. Go on. uh, Katie Hopkins. She could well be a presenter on these. And yeah. that's who Fits you'd so end well. up with on TV, mainstream, no escape, and also be on a platform where you think that you've actually got to listen to this stupid, stupid and woman. And Mr Farage. Of course, he'd be on it as well, and they, they, this is is what you'd end up with. So you've you've had uh, that response there, but Trump has not gone away, and Trump has actually decided that uh, now is the time to open his office of operations and get on with what he's got planned.
And new this morning, former President Donald Trump's office has announced the formation of the Office of the Former President. The release sent to us said the office will handle Trump's correspondence, public statements, appearances, and official activities to, quote, advance the interests of the United States and to carry on the agenda of the Trump administration through advocacy, organizing, and public activism, end quote. The statement ended saying President Trump will always and forever be a champion for the American people, end quote. So the champion of the American people has got his office. Yep. Then he's ready. He's ready to go. He's ready to go for his 2024 run. There's talk about another party. Is he still going to be part of the Republicans? There was a um, a party formed this week called the Patriots. Yep. And they formed it. And it was all the people that were, a lot of people that were involved in the Capitol riots, they formed the Patriots and then got in touch with Donald Trump and his people and when we formed this uh, party for you and wanted him to assume the head of it. Yeah. yeah. And he said no. So far. And no, he said no because he's still got the Republican Party. Why would you have that? Yeah, yeah, Why would you yeah. take over something like yeah. that? It's the same as uh, when Momentum took over Labour. Why didn't they run as Momentum? Well, no, Labour's a brand. They they have that. The same as all these other people. They, you know. We shall see. I, I, I think still um, something left in that. Uh, if it goes all wrong at some stage, he will jump on it. You never know. Also, this week, unfortunately, uh, everything was going well. We got the Senate over in America, so the left had it. Um, the Democrats had the Senate, so you could pass a vote with 50 votes to 50 with Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker. So that was fine. Um, but you needed to get rid of the filibuster. The filibuster meant that you needed 60 votes to pass a majority in the House. And um, that that was a problem. So they wanted to get rid of the filibuster and then go to a situation where a majority vote that they have got, they've got 50 votes to 50, and they've also got the vice president to break. And it is a situation that happened last year. It, uh, over the last few years, it's happened the other way around. And two Democrats decided that they were slightly more right-wing than some people on the Republican Party and decided to wreck it. Progressives are urging Senate Democrats to do away with the legislative filibuster, which of course indicates that the Senate would need 60 votes in order to pass most legislation, especially sweeping legislation that Biden wants to pass as part of his presidential agenda. Now, we got word that Senate Majority Leader, former Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had held up negotiations regarding the rules in the Senate, which he has to negotiate with the incoming Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, because he wanted a promise on paper, a written commitment that the Senate Democrats would not do away with the filibuster. Senator Schumer said, no, I am not committing to that. We wanna be able to have that option on the table. Well, we just found out that Mitch McConnell has decided to Agree, okay, that's fine. Uh, we have the uh, power sharing rules in place. Let's sign off on this, let's get the process going. And people were wondering why, why the change of heart? Well, uh, it turns out that there are two Democratic lawmakers, uh, 
conservative Democrats, uh, Joe Manchin and uh, Kirsten Sinema, who have uh, committed to voting no on doing away with the filibuster. And so I'm gonna go to their quotes right now, including one spokesperson for Senator Sinema who says that uh, the Senator is not open to changing her mind about eliminating the filibuster. So she's not even open to that discussion. She wants to maintain the filibuster, which by the way, makes it abundantly clear that uh, the policies that the Democratic Party wanna pass will be impossible to pass because they are not gonna get enough Republican senators to sign on with them. They will serve as obstructionists and uh, Kirsten Sinema, a right wing Democrat has decided to side with them, fantastic. Uh, same with Joe Manchin. Uh, Joe Manchin says, if I hadn't said it very plain, uh, maybe Senator McConnell hasn't understood. I want to basically say it for you that I will not vote in this Congress, meaning not vote to get rid of the filibuster. That's two years, right? So uh, by the way, unfortunately, he's not uh, seeking reelection until 2024. Uh, I looked because I would love to get Manchin out of the Senate. Uh, Kirsten Sinema still has a pretty lengthy term left as well, which is why they probably feel emboldened and empowered enough uh, to stand in the way of uh, passing legislation that's desperately needed right now. I can't stand his fingers. His fingers? These fingers, they're just big fat sausages. So will anything happen in America? The American politics to me is complicated because they seem to like pull the rabbit out of the hat from somewhere and they seem to change things around when it suits and at times they get lost with it. But we're going to finish the show tonight with a friend of yours in the States. Oh, oh indeed, yeah. You've got a situation where the most unlikeliest of things became a focal point during the last few days. At the inauguration, you might think that people were looking at what the First Lady was wearing, which yeah. she had a, a wonderful pair of pale powder blue gloves that matched her coat. Uh, fantastic. Um, Joe looked all right. It was nice and dapper. Everyone looked good. Um, later on in the inauguration ball, his uh, daughter, Ashley Biden, was wearing a tuxedo and everyone freaked out over that. But even that wasn't the big focal point. The focal point was that Joe Biden was wearing a Rolex watch. A Rolex. So I just seen on Fox News that our so-called president, Joseph Biden, has a Rolex. It's disgusting. I mean, who does this man think he is? Rick Flair, my pastor, you know, we've not seen a vulgar display of wealth like this in this country from a president. I don't think ever. This man just out of touch. I bet I bet he wouldn't last one minute on the prices right. You know, Steve Harvey would ask, how, how much is this, I don't know, box of rice aroni? Joe would pick it up, look at it, see that's a family size. He'd say, oh, I don't know, this is... Probably worth three Rolexes, Regis' final answer. The man just out of touch. I mean, so much for being the champion of the working class. You know, this man's been bought and paid for by Big Wristwatch since day one. Okay. Um, From Big Wristwatch. We're going to fuck off now. And I just want to leave you as we go with one image. <laughs> 